Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dean Finelli from Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us today. I'm also an IP attorney in the Washington office of Cooley LLP. I have a great guest today, Jennifer Bourquavis, who's a licensed clinical social worker. I'm very privileged to have her today. We're going to find out how the virus and the impact of what's going on has impacted social work and her and her career specifically. Uh, before we talk with Jennifer, uh, let's just see what's going on in the news. Uh, there's been a lot of news about whether to delay the second dose of the coronavirus vaccines that are authorized in order to kind of keep up with the momentum of getting as many people as possible vaccinated. Uh, we know so far there's been about 75 million doses administered. Uh, about 45 million people have gotten at least one dose and over 15 million people are fully vaccinated, meaning they've gotten both doses. Uh, and there's that question of, you know, are, is the manufacturer and distribution slowing down? Should we start giving, extending that second dose out beyond the three or four week uh, timeline that was found in the trials? Uh, or should we extend it out further to get as many people vaccinated? There's even talk of extending it out 12 weeks. Uh, a study out of Israel came out where they tested 7,000 people uh, particularly nurses and doctors, and they found that after administering the first dose, uh, the effectiveness was over 80%. So uh, it looks like, you know, that's very important information, but at least in my opinion, uh, you know, we have this clinical trial data that we received. The U.S. FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, is at least in my opinion the gold standard when it comes to drug approval. Uh, Although this is important information and very uh, critical that we keep the science going and learn additional information, at least at this point, I don't think it's compelling enough to say let's alter the trial, uh, what we learned in the trial, to stretch out that second dose. Uh, at the very least, you know, we know that 95% effectiveness number that we heard for each of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines was after the second dose. Uh, also, we don't know, you know, how long that immunity lasts. After you get your initial dose, of course, you're going to have some immunity. That second dose, that booster shot, gets it up to 95%, uh, but also it extends the immunity. It extends that memory response. So uh, important information coming out of Israel, but at least in my opinion, not compelling enough to say let's extend that dose. So I would say let's stick to the trials and keep administering according to the uh, current protocols of four weeks after 
the first shot for Moderna, three weeks after the first shot for Pfizer. Uh, we're also hearing uh, about, a lot about uh, the numbers going down, the number of hospitalization. Uh, fortunately, we're almost at 500,000 deaths in the U.S., but it looks like at least the numbers of illness and the number of people being hospitalized, that, those numbers are going down. It's probably a confluence of different factors. Um, the Biden administration's push to have people wear masks, which in my opinion has is long overdue and is great news, uh, and as well as uh, people generally uh, having more people get vaccinated and, of course, people getting immunity from uh, more people getting infected, getting a natural immunity. So we are starting to see numbers go down. But one thing we still are way behind in in the U.S. is diagnostic testing. There's a lot of news out there about at-home diagnostic tests, these quick response tests. And I think we have to do a lot better uh, as a healthcare system to get these at-home tests uh, out more readily to the public. I could tell you from personal experience, I had a, a test. I was feeling ill. I had a COVID test. Uh, they gave me a test at a clinic. It came back negative. They took a, a nose swab and sent it out for PCR. Uh, they said it would take five days to get back, and they told me to quarantine during those five days, which, you know, again, I got a negative test. It was a little, uh, you know, disconcerting to hear, okay, we think you're negative. Now stay inside for five days until we get this gold standard, the PCR test, back from the lab. So not really the way we should be conducting healthcare in the U.S. I understand we're under unprecedented conditions and situations right now, but again, I think we need to kind of make at-home real-time testing more ubiquitous. So uh, at least when people are sick, they don't have this lag, and we're just putting it on people to stay home. They know immediately whether or not they're sick. So a lot of issues going on. Obviously, most in the life science industry dealing with the coronavirus. Uh, Johnson and Johnson submitted its data uh, for authorization of its one-shot coronavirus vaccine. Uh, if the FDA and its outside regulatory committees agree, we could see a third vaccine authorized uh, within the next week or so. So that'll greatly uh, take the burden off of the current two viruses that and the healthcare system. Uh, you know, although Johnson and Johnson did say they won't have as many available in the short term. They're still committed to having about 100 million doses available by the summer. So certainly that will make uh, getting more people vaccinated in as quick a fashion as possible a lot more realistic. Thank you again for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm your host, Dean Finale. Today I'm speaking with Ms. Jennifer Bourquevas. Uh, Jennifer is a licensed clinical social worker uh, for over 25 years, she's been in private practice in Long Island, New York, and specializes in treating children, adolescents, and their families. Uh, she is also a mother of a special needs child, and Ms. Borquevas uh, has provided psychological analyses for various TV shows, including Newsmax, News 12, Law and Crime, etc. So it's an honor to hear about her, to talk to her, excuse me. Uh, because, you know, we hear about the implications of the virus on the healthcare system and doctors and nurses, but I think we don't hear enough about uh, how this is impacting social work. These uh, sort of heroes are out there meeting face-to-face, -face, helping families, and, you know, we just don't hear enough about it. So I'm really privileged and honored to talk to Jennifer today. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. 
So maybe you could just tell us, you know, what's the, I mean, your social workers all over, you're responding to really an unprecedented situation. How are you dealing with it? Especially, you know, I can imagine a lot of your interaction on a normal basis is face-to-face with families and with individuals. How are you dealing with that? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough year. It has definitely been a rough year. Um, you know, life was hard pre-COVID. And then when you compound all of the effects of the natural disaster of COVID, um, it, it really has been disastrous for people. And uh, professionally, a very challenging time for me. Um, I'm also a, um, a clinical disaster mental health worker for New York State. So I've been working in my private practice as well as working uh, through the state to help some of our first responders and um, people who are in, who become identified as more in need um, as well over this last year. So it's been busy, <laughs> quite busy. Yeah, I can imagine. So are are you considered a, are you at the top of the priority list uh, when it comes to getting the vaccine or are you considered a first responder and a healthcare worker? Actually, no. <laughs> you would think we would be. Um, you would think, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> since I'm in the mental health arena, um, a lot of the work that we can do with clients right now is um, uh, electronic. So, um, and that's how we have been working is, is pretty much um, via Skype, via FaceTime. So we have not, I have not had the vaccine just yet, um, but I am looking forward to getting it. I will tell you that this way I can be more hands-on with people and sort of get back out there into the field. I, I enjoy rolling my sleeves up and getting dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when, yeah, when you say that, you know, we, we know there's been lockdowns, obviously, last year, and we're hearing about surges and everything. As far as continuity of service, how has that been disrupted? Are you able to work effectively remotely, or is, does it just put a kind of a stall on your, your practice? No, it, 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 the continuity has been great, and more than ever, people are, um, are in need of mental health services. Um, my understanding from other colleagues is that there are wait lists and that their people are booked to the max. Um, and I know with the Red Cross, I'm, I'm again, I'm a disaster mental health worker with the Red Cross via New York State. Um, you know, we are looking for new volunteers to come and assist us because it has been so busy, which is a good thing because that tells me that people are reaching out for the help. People are identifying that this is a an unprecedented time that we're going through and that taking care of their mental health is just as important as taking care of their physical health. So, so we want to be busy. We want to be over busy. Um, however, we want to get the, you know, make sure we have the resources in place to help as many people as we can. Um, you know, look, I know um, that, we are now sort of seeing a light um, at the end of the tunnel, you know, with the vaccines that are in place now. And, um, you know, people are, seem to be really um, 
uh, in, are embracing the vaccine and, and going for it. But I think what will remain in 2021 is the mental health impact of COVID. And unfortunately, there's no vaccine for that. So people are going to need to continue to um, to secure the help for themselves and also for their loved ones. You know, I, I do believe that it's our human and moral responsibility to help others that we see um, struggling secure the help that they may need. Yeah, you bring up a good point. How are, how are the effects of, you know, just children and the psychological and emotional effects of people you know, aside from obviously people being nervous about getting the, the virus, but just the, the confinement and the isolation that people are going through, how are you seeing that affect individuals? Yeah, I think that next to the fear of getting the virus and surviving it is the fear of or is the And all the people that, you know, we're, we were used to being around, you know, going to work full time and children being in school full time, getting those social emotional experiences that they are um, that that they need to have. So, yes, I have seen a lot of, of suffering in those areas, um, you know, even in my own household, my child just returned to um, full in-person learning at school because I didn't feel that it was safe enough um, until really a couple of months ago for him to go back until we learned that schools were not going to be super spreaders. And once I felt, you know, comfortable with that, we sent him back. Um, but yeah, people are feeling very disconnected and are feeling, um, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Um, it, it's, it's a really difficult time that, that people are going through, not to mention, you know, people are going, are experiencing job loss or, um, you know, changes to their job situation where they're working remotely, and having to, you know, uh, have their kids at home, it, you know, doing school remotely. So the stressors of that, you know, is enough to knock somebody off of their feet. So it, it, a lot of stressors have um, emerged from COVID, new things that, you know, I don't think we ever thought we would have to deal with. But people are really resilient, you know, at the end of the day. One of the most rewarding things I can say about my work is seeing the resiliency that comes from people and seeing people realize what their own resiliency is, you know. And, and I have to say that's one of the most rewarding uh, things about what I do. Yeah, I can tell you from personally having kids at home uh, being schooled remotely, it is stressful. And I'll tell you firsthand, those those stresses sometimes, you know, you just have to walk out of the room and you feel like you want to pull your hair out. Uh, so they're definitely real for all of us. Uh, this is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking with Jennifer Boer-Cuevas, a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, Jennifer, when today the uh, House announced $1.9 in and stimulus uh, they're proposing. 
has has any federal assistance or federal funding gone to social workers to help uh you know you guys alleviate some of the stress that you're under well, you know, the the Red Cross is federally funded um, and state funded. Um, so I do believe through that vehicle, you know, we're seeing funding, but not in terms of um, the private work that's done. Um, so it's, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of social workers, therapists, uh, people taking pay cuts to work with people to make it work, uh, you know, in working with people that are um, unemployed or are on, on benefits themselves, people are adjusting their fees. Um, people are, professionals are really, I believe, stepping out of their, um, their norm to provide the services to make it happen for people. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really tough time. And, Unfortunately, not everybody can, you know, act, can access private uh, services, but people should know that there are, um, are plenty of um, mental health services out there that they can get for free uh, via clinics that they um, may live near or hotlines that they can call, um, things like that. The, the services are out there. They just have to sort of seek them, seek them out. Um, yeah. Yeah, social workers bring such an essential knowledge and, and, and job to, to the community at the local level, and you were talking about seeking those out. Have you noticed uh, because of the pandemic that, um, you know, there have been closures like other industries have seen, you know, just they couldn't survive the pandemic. Is that also affecting uh, social workers as well, where they're just people are, are can't do the job anymore because they just can't afford to take that pay cut you were mentioning? Not that I have personally seen. Um, and like I said, I mean, in the, it, in the private sector of social work, it's been very, very busy. So, um, it, you know, so I, I do think that um, of all of the um, professions out there, social work and psychology is probably still in good standing. Um, and I, I, again, I think a lot of the agencies and clinics that, that are out there for people um, are still receiving the funding that they probably have always received. Mm -hmm. And so people are definitely accessing them. So that's, this is a good thing, though. You know, people, we, people need these services. And um, we need to be able to provide them. I think there, if anything, maybe there's a shortage <laughs> of, of social workers um, or clinical people. But, um, but yeah, it's, and, and I encourage, I want to tell, you know, put it out there that anybody who's thinking about joining the social work profession or the psychological profession, it's, it is so rewarding there are so many different rewards that can be reaped from it. And just, and I've been in the field for about 25 plus years and just what I thought, you know, I, 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 I was rewarded as much as maybe I would be from the profession. Then came COVID <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I was able to, to learn even more and to 
see and, and reap even more rewards from it. So, um, yeah, so I, I do encourage people who are thinking about yeah, going ad- into the field. <laughs> what advice do you, would you give? So did, did you study psychology as an undergraduate or uh, did you is social work? Uh, are there colleges and universities that specialize in social work per se? What I did was I um, did a bachelor's in social work. I went to Adelphi. I'm an alumni of Adelphi University on Long Island. And then I did my master's there. And then following that, I proceeded to do um, a certification in trauma and disaster. And then that was how I started to work with the, the Red Cross. So I specialize actually in man-made disasters. Those are your school shootings, your mass shootings, mass casualty events. So actually working through COVID has been a new experience for me because it's considered a natural disaster. Um, So, yeah, so that's what I did was I went through – university and then I um, uh, self-certified through through other vehicles uh, to get the disaster uh, credentials under my belt and I, I'm loving it I absolutely love it and again seeing people's resiliency in trauma or in disaster seeing people realize they are more resilient than they ever imagined is just so rewarding that's really great. I mean, social workers really are the cornerstone of the community and sustaining a healthy community. So I think it's just so great what you're doing. Uh, this is Dean Finale on Politics and Life Science Radio. My guest today was Jennifer Bourquavis. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. That was so informative. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.